0: This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivali.
1: Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Abrupt Future, the topic of today diversity, inclusion, and everything in between. I'm very glad to be speaking this week with Priya Radia, who is a DNI management consultant at Included. So, first of all, Priya, welcome to Abrupt Future and thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having us. Excited to, to be here to talk about DNI.
1: Yes. So let's talk a little bit about Included. As I mentioned, I came across your organization, really saw the level of expertise, uh, the understanding, the depth, the seriousness that you put into uh, the So I was quite impressed. But can you tell a little bit about the the company?
0: Absolutely. So Included is uh, an impact-led diversity and inclusion consultancy, We were initially founded off the back of the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games, and that's where our theory of change was first developed and tested. And then since then, we've worked with a number of local and global organizations, over 500, um, and written over 150 articles and and three books as well. So, yeah.
1: Wow, impressive. You talk about the concept of Inclusion 3.0. Oh, and, and I may have missed the 1.0 and the the 2.0. So what's what's Inclusion
0: 3.0? So Inclusion 3.0 is based on our maturity model. Um, and I can jump quickly back into 1.0 and 2.0 as well. So Diversity 101 is something we define as a compliance heavy approach. It's where organizations will quite often tackle the legal requirements to do with with DNI, which is critical and it's it's very helpful, but it's often not enough. So for example, it might be following the Equality Act of, of 2010.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if we move on to 2.0, that's the more reputational or marketing-led approach where organizations will start to take a stand in a more visible way. Um, so through their Social media sites or websites and other marketing tools. And then we get onto 3.0. So 3.0 is all about embedding inclusion into our day to day behaviors, processes, and decision making. And that's really where we want organizations to. Push to you know strive towards to, to reach.
1: So in a in a way it's baking in DNA into the fabric of the organisation where it's not just a I guess a program or a slogan. It is becoming a way of operating.
0: Absolutely. So it's making sure that your words are backed up by actions. It's making sure that everybody across the organisation at all levels is involved. So leaders, but also every all employees and that it's really embedded into not just internal environments but also start looking at externally so your clients how inclusive are you when it comes to product design as well as your internal employee
1: experience and is that something very common i mean if you look uh, you know you're probably interacting with all kind of organization probably a lot of them who are really interested in in that 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 higher level of maturity but how common is it these days
0: so we often get clients at different stages of this journey some will be at the very start and some will have more advanced dni programs that are already leading them towards 3.0 so it does vary but we do see that a lot of organizations quite often get stuck around 2.0 which is the the reputational marketing led approach where they've made a, a lot of good changes but there is still a little further to go in terms of that embedding it into day-to-day behaviors
1: yeah, I mean you're you're still in a way paying lip service to it, right? Because it's it's not how you hire, how you promote, how you attribute work or priorities and so on. Is there any particular gap that you have been noticed across clients or maybe to rephrase that a, a specific practice that is missing from client who who wants to get into that that higher level and and they seem to be systematically missing it
0: our framework at the moment covers five key areas for businesses it's strategy data governance leadership and systems And we often see that organisations try and jump to the systems and processes part of it. So they'll try and make certain changes. And I think where the gap often is, is actually taking a step back and trying to redefine the high level strategy, how it actually aligns with the overall organisation strategy. And that's where the embedding really begins. Because it needs to be done alongside all of the other initiatives that are going on in an organisation, instead of being treated as a as a separate piece, and that's quite often the gap that we try and we try and close through this process of the five key areas.
1: And it makes a lot of sense because it it seems easier to buy technology or system or design a process or something that's a bit more visible rather than embedding it in a strategy which is a bit more of a you know higher level and more abstract less tangible less of a quick win for the uh, leaders who who want to change the game
0: absolutely so often tangible things are more attractive to to people um for obvious reasons but things like behaviors are a, a bit trickier to change and a bit trickier to actually measure the impact of change as well but ultimately behaviors are hugely, hugely impactful when it comes to employees experience. So a team member will need to feel psychologically safe around their colleagues, but also with their line manager or, or other people above them. And that's that's really key of how they personally experience the organization and their work there.
1: And, and to ask you a naive question, is is training the answer? Should we just be training people into being more inclusive, more understanding of people differences?
0: training is definitely a critical element of it um to make sure that everyone is brought up to the same level of understanding but i think that needs to be backed up by actions so from mm-hmm. that training what can leaders then do and commit to in order to actually make and deliver real change um in their day-to-day practices
1: yeah no and and i think you highlight the the importance of leaders not just by their Decision, but but as a behavior, as a role model within the organization, if they don't showcase those behaviors, the training will be a missed uh, opportunity.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: You know, depending on who you talk to, we often hear the the idea that uh, oh, we're we're past the business case for DNI. Everybody gets it now. It's about finding actions and programs and strategies that change how diverse is our workforce and how inclusive is our culture. What do you think about that? Are we really past the business case? Do we really need to, again, prove that value? Or sh- should we, again, reiterate that because it's a never-ending uh, story?
0: There's quite often a range of leaders who are at different points in their in their DNI journey and there has been, I think, huge progress made, especially over the last 18 months or so, with movements such as mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, where it's really come into light, you know, why diversity and inclusion is still so necessary. So there has definitely been progress, but I think in some cases there are still gaps. So I would mm-hmm. I would say yes, I think we need to continue pushing for the case for DNI, especially when it comes to that intrinsic motivation around it. So not just external pressures, but also oh. leaders internally being motivated themselves and truly understanding what the benefits of an inclusive workplace are.
1: And speaking of which, when, when people ask you, or again, if I may ask the the naive question, when people ask, what's the the benefit of diversity and inclusion, then what are the top benefits that everybody should know about?
0: So diversity inclusion has a huge impact on people, business, but also wider society Mm -hmm. so from a people perspective it's it's obviously morally a a good thing to do it helps individuals and employees from all different backgrounds to feel safe and respected and valued and really feel like they belong at, at the company that they're working for on a business level it's also been shown to have a number of benefits so it it helps from a financial perspective to generate more revenue and profits if you have a diverse group of people That diverse group is going to be able to think more creatively and also has been proven to make better decisions as well. And employees that feel more psychologically safe will also see increased engagement, motivation, trust and well-being in the workplace too. And then from a wider society level, it's really reflected in everything that the company does. So in terms of product design um, or the the offerings that they're putting out to, to the world... Ensuring that that has an inclusive lens on it will also make sure that it's well received by by their target audiences.
1: And have you seen clients or people doubting that value or challenging the importance of improving diversity and inclusion? What kind of argument or or you know conviction do they bring to the table? Because I mean, the the business case is seems pretty obvious. I mean. In 2021, people should be bought into the idea. But as you mentioned, there's a range. So where does the resistance come from?
0: I think often there is a lot of resistance when it comes to priorities. So obviously mm. running an organization is um, can be a very tricky thing to do. And there are lots of things, lots of initiatives in the workplace that are all fighting for budget and, and fighting for a place at the table. So managing those priorities and, and really emphasizing how important dni is and the benefits it can bring Um, yeah we we absolutely have seen some challenges there but you know everyone's on it on a journey and i think education is is key here to help people understand Mm
1: -hmm.
0: why it is so important
1: and as a as a leader what can i do differently is there any specific levers any so-called low-hanging fruits that I can look at to start improving the the diversity and the inclusiveness of the organization that I work in.
0: So we often start with two things when it comes to advising around improving diversity and inclusion. And those two are, like I mentioned before, strategy. And the other one is data. So there is a huge amount that can be done and that can often be quite, quite confusing. But strategy is key in aligning leaders and making sure that everyone is headed in the same direction. And that will really help pick up the pace of change um, that's to come. And the other thing is is data. So measuring the impact of both diversity and inclusion, helping you to understand where the actual problem is and then set more targeted initiatives off the back of that. There are obviously some quick wins that leaders can implement. They won't have the same level of change without a more kind of concrete, targeted plan on how the whole organization can approach it.
1: How do you measure that progress or the diversity and inclusiveness of a, of a workforce? Any KPIs that are, or metrics that are specifically important?
0: So diversity is somewhat easier to measure. That's more looking at demographics and, and the makeup of your workforce. So things like gender, ethnicity, disability, and there are other more complex things that you can look at too, like socioeconomic background. So there's, there's a range of demographics that can be covered there. When it comes to inclusion, that's a little bit trickier. That's more about how people feel, which is, is a little dif- more difficult to measure. So one of Included's offerings is actually an inclusion diagnostic that we've designed to help measure this. Um, and there's a number of other surveys and employee engagement tools that you can use to measure how well people feel like they belong. Benchmarking and targets are also quite useful. So yeah, yeah. How you're doing right now, but then also where do you want to get to? So setting those targets and making sure that you're aligned with industry best practice.
1: And as we we all know, the the world changed drastically in the last uh, eighteen months. So obviously there has been on the DNI side, Black Lives Matters and other other movement. There's been the move to remote and hybrid work. Have you seen any impact on DNI thinking and DNI practices?
0: Absolutely, yes. I think we've all seen that over the last eighteen months. We, you know, everyone's experienced a whole host of different events and life-changing things have happened, and it's definitely impacted diversity and inclusion in in a number of different ways. I think remote working, in in particular, if we zone into that one, it's impacted different demographic groups. So, for example, if you look at agenda there was a study done by mckinsey on women in the workplace that found that women were more than 3 times as likely to meet the majority of demands for housework and caregiving during the pandemic and things like that can really have an impact on on your workforce and being aware of what other responsibilities that women might have to deal with outside of their day-to-day jobs on the other hand it's helped for example, individuals with disabilities or mental health conditions, where it's actually been easier to work from home, and they don't have to worry about the commute or, or going into the office as much. So it's it's impacted different demographic groups quite differently.
1: Yeah, and I think also, I mean, looking at the the future, if more organisations are hiring more remote employees, there's also a, an argument that says that it helps us diversify the. The pipeline of candidates because now we're not recruiting in just a certain location. We're broadening the net. We can have people from from different backgrounds joining, even though they don't uh, live in you know our, the expensive cities where our headquarters are located. Is that something you've heard also from client? Is that a uh, a, a new thinking around uh, remote work and diversity?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. London is a great example of that, where it's such an expensive city to live in. um, I think it can be easy to overlook just how expensive it is to be able to commute to London. So you've seen employers cast their nets a a little broader, but also from the side of sort of enabling collaboration as well. So, for example, if there's an internal job opportunity in a different location internally you might have the chance to to switch to something different and work remotely there so it's opened up a lot of doors i think for for a number of people
1: absolutely and uh, maybe a last question for you where can we learn more about the work that you do at included
0: so you can find more about us on our website included.com or you can find us on twitter um, and linkedin as well
1: Fantastic. So Priya, thank you so much for sharing your thought with us today.
0: Thank you very much. It was, um, thank you for having us.
1: This was About future, A Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Valley and I thank you for your time.